after spending weeks on Monster Island studying the renowned kaiju known only as Godzilla. Aggressively average film nerds Wes and Josh are ready to head back home, now prepared for the release of Godzilla vs. Kong. En route, however, their ship crashes on an uncharted island. Upon awakening, they are greeted by hostile natives and tied up for sacrifice. They hear stomping in the distance. As they stare out into the forest beyond, both geeks know it could only be one thing. The mighty King Kong. Now they must go head-to-head -head with their beloved Godzilla's mighty challenger. Will our heroes escape? Will they make it back home in time to see Godzilla vs. Kong? Find out on Escape from Skull Island. Hello, everyone, and welcome to this very special episode of the Not Buff Film Buff podcast. My name's Wes Skinner. With me, as always, is Josh. What's up, dude? What's up, my good sir? Not much, not much. Today's episode is Escape from Skull Island. This is a companion piece, if you will, to our Escape to Monster Island series. If this is your first time tuning in, we've spent the last few episodes delving into the entire Godzilla franchise one era at a time leading up to the release of Godzilla vs. Kong. Today, however, we'll be stepping into the other corner of the ring and focusing on the challenger to the throne, the one and only King Kong. To do this, we'll be covering what we consider to be the three most prominent iterations of the giant monkey, the original King Kong from 1933, Peter Jackson's remake from 2005, and finally, Kong Skull Island, since he is the version of Kong we'll be seeing in Godzilla vs. Kong. So Josh, I want to talk about a few things before we get started. First off, what's your experience or level of investment when it comes to the character of King Kong and his movies. Okay. I love Kong. I'm not, he's not my number one. Obviously Godzilla is, but with Kong, I grew up almost, I believe it's like the same time with the Kong movies as Godzilla. So I was watching them because my dad absolutely loved King Kong growing up. That was his, his giant monster movie. So for me, I, you know, simultaneously grew up on Kong and Godzilla so yeah. that was pretty fun because obviously I grew up on King Kong versus Godzilla. So I knew the monkey oh, yeah. was around. And yeah, for a while, it was really only the 1933 and then Kong's, you know, King Kong versus Godzilla. I was still too young when the time uh, King Kong, Peter Jackson's one came out. Mm -hmm. um, I was that was what, 2005. So I was yeah. eight, maybe nine. I don't know, around there, getting yeah. close to that age, at least. Sure. So I was a little too young for that in theaters and everything, but you know, as an adult, I fucking adore that movie. Kong Skull Island was actually the first King Kong movie I got to see in theaters, so that was a pretty special moment for me because so cool. I I really dug the monkey. Yeah, but he is definitely played up as a more sympathetic character than Godzilla is. That's for sure. Well, yeah, it's interesting, right? Because I think it's kind of worth addressing that these films despite being about a giant monster terrorizing people they feel vastly different than the films in the Godzilla franchise it's also interesting that this character has been able to sustain popularity without ever having any sequels really I mean there's a few here and there of like obscure ones but for the most part it's kind of just a series of remakes right and it pretty much relies on like a handful of films that are iconic to the people that grew up with it but it's pretty amazing that it's as much of a household name if almost not more just strictly because at least for us because Godzilla is Japanese you know as much as Godzilla so it's kind of it's kind of crazy but yeah I remember when I was probably how old was I like I think I was like 13 14 maybe when Peter Jackson's King Kong came out and I did get to see that in theaters and I remember a year before it came out in theaters I forget what the fuck we were seeing, but we were in a movie theater and we saw big like cardboard cutout 
and there was a massive like cutout of Kong on one side, or it was all one big thing. And there was Kong on one side and a giant T-Rex on the other, or V-Rex, whatever you want to call it. And then it's a tiny itty bitty Andero in the middle, just little Naomi Watts. And I remember just thinking it was the coolest image I've ever seen in my entire life. And I, at that point, just wanted to, I, I remember being like, I don't know what we're seeing now. I don't really care. I just want to fast forward to when that thing's coming out. And in many ways, which we'll get to, it it lived up to the hype. But weirdly enough, yeah, that's my nostalgic one. Because I think, again, much like the original Godzilla, I got into the original King Kong from more of just a film history standpoint and really wanting to just see what the hype was about. Cause King Kong, I mean, a lot of people call Jaws the first blockbuster, but like, let's be real. King Kong is the first blockbuster. I mean, it's the first true. Oh, hell yeah. Epic. Oh, hell yeah. I, I mean, I, I got to agree on that, man. I'm sure there's, there's big films that made waves in the silent era just before that. But I mean, King Kong is the first movie that you watch. And even today, certain scenes of it, I mean, they just, you can get why it, blew people away in theaters um, it's epic it really is yeah for 1933 is. that is an epic yeah and it carries with it which is a big theme it carries with it both the bad parts and the good parts of being a 30s film which we'll definitely we'll definitely discuss uh but yeah what do you think some of the biggest reasons are that this franchise or not even franchise it's weird calling it a franchise i guess it's just like these couple movies <laughs> like what what do you think makes this character so iconic and why do you think it's it's stood the test of time despite really not having a massive franchise yeah that part has always confused me a bit is kong now he has 12 movies to his name i believe and most a good portion of them are direct to video so they're like direct to dvd direct to you know streaming or something and i've never understood why they haven't done much with the kong ip i think it's mainly because of the legal issues that have surrounded kong since day one it feels like because it's like no studio knows who technically owns the right because he should technically be in public domain because it's over an 80 year old property it's almost 90 years old at this point sure So yeah, that part confuses me on why there's not like an actual franchise when a lot of them really do only, they're only really reboots all telling the same story of going to the island, discovering Kong and then bringing him back. Kong Skull Island was really one of the only films to break that mold. Yeah, it's all Um, on the island. Yeah, because even in the Toho produced King Kong Escapes, he gets kidnapped and brought to a new area. (laughs) So it's just like, Boom, they're following that kind of a story, even though they totally go and do their own kaiju-esque story with Kong in that film. Sure. We were originally going to actually cover that one, but we were just like, oh, we we're kind of running out of time and yeah, I think everything. Well, not only that, but I mean, I guess I was just kind of surprised by when looking at how many Kong films have been made and the ones that have good reputations. It's really just these three and even then like you could argue that all of them are kind of mixed in certain ways like 33 a lot of people are kind of turning their backs on it due to just the political and social things that don't really age well peter jackson's has always been a mixed bag with people because it's so much and three hours and 20 minutes baby <laughs> exactly and then of course you have skull island which i think weirdly enough now is probably the one that is the most uniformly liked. And again, not like, you know, I don't think people like it more than 33 necessarily. I just think there's probably more people that are fond of it. It's got the least baggage, I think, attached to it as far as things to kind of bring it down at all for definitely because it hits that like two hour sweet spot. 
mm-hmm. too. So it's not like a, it doesn't feel like an actual, you know, chore to sit through, even though personally for me, Peter Jackson's King Kong does not feel like a chore. I adore that movie. <laughs> you and I are psychopaths, Josh. We have to remember that. Yeah. I mean, I, <laughs> four hour movies are nothing for us. Yeah. I uh, shotgun the the Snyder cut when that first came out. So a lot of people were like, oh, have you watched it? And I was like, yeah, twice. Hi, how are you? <laughs> but yeah, so I, I think these films are definitely, I think there's, I think one of these three will be for anyone out there. Like, I feel like someone will find their Kong movie. And I think it's really cool that there's different flavors of Kong. And I think it's really cool that some people will swear and die by 33 for you know despite all its blemishes and then there's other people who are grew up with it's very much like people who grew up with the star wars prequels even though i would i think we both argue that peter jackson's king kong is probably better than those but it's by a landslide right right but you know it's it's kind of one of those things where there's people who like myself who grew up with the original trilogy who just swear by it, die by it. And then when the prequels came around, it's like, oh, new guy on the block thinks he can do what we can do, huh? And, you know, I, I, part of it is just that I, the movies are not that good comparatively, but a lot of it is just I didn't grow up with it. And it's hard for me to see through the lens of growing up with it, which a lot of people did and they love them regardless and even admit their flaws. So, hey, I grew up with a prequel trilogy and I only like Revenge of the Sith. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's that's fair. But I mean, like I said, not the best example because Peter Jackson's King Kong is much better, but still in the same sense that it's a new person's iteration of this, you know, or a new generation's iteration of this, just as I'm sure there will be a generation of kids who grow up with Skull Island and will think that that's kind of an iconic one for them. So I can see that. Definitely. Definitely. Yeah, man. Without further ado, you want to, uh, you want to get into this? Hell yeah. Let's talk about the monkey. Uh, you want to introduce this one or you want me to? By all means, sir. By all means. All right. So King Kong, 1933. The film follows director Carl Denham as he leads an expedition about the venture to the uncharted Skull Island in order to film his latest picture. When the crew arrives on the mysterious island, Denham's leading lady, Anne Darrow, is kidnapped by the local natives and sacrificed to their god, the giant ape Kong. Denham, venture first mate Jack Driscoll, and the rest of the crew launch a rescue mission into the heart of the island to save Anne and find that Kong is not their only concern as they encounter a plethora of other prehistoric beasts. The film builds to an iconic climax where Kong is brought back to New York City and climbs atop the Empire State Building with Anne in hand for a final confrontation against a squadron of biplanes. So I finished this up this morning for our most recent rewatch, and I realized that I have never seen this movie front to back. And it kind of blows my mind. I think I've always somehow missed a lot of the, like the second half of the boat stuff and the first and like the middle portion of the island stuff. Like I remember the first couple scenes of the film. I remember the first island stuff where they first encounter the natives and get sacrificed. Everything in between that though. And like the, like I remember the T-Rex fight, but the stuff around that, not, not really just kind of crazy. So this in a way felt like a first viewing to me, which I think was both detrimental to it and benefited it in different ways. Most of the stuff I think I forgot was, well, A, I was really young. So a lot of the racism and really outdated politics. (laughs) However, the other stuff I forgot was a lot of the action set pieces that were not like 
the T-Rex fight or the Empire State Building fight. So most of those felt like new to me. So those were really cool. This movie, it's interesting because it's hard for me to talk about it without talking about Peter Jackson's King Kong, because even when I had seen first seen parts of this, I think it was after I had seen Peter Jackson's. And it's interesting because I always felt like both of them had a similar heartbeat. Like I always felt that both of them had a very, I I always thought both of them nailed that sympathy for Kong that you have towards the end of Peter Jackson's. I don't feel that way watching it now. This movie felt weirdly just like, and not just the racism stuff that does not help, but it just put a bad taste in my mouth. It just felt very kind of mean spirited and felt like an empty hollow blockbuster, which I'm, I'm okay with because obviously the special effects on display are part of the main point of this. And I am a huge proponent of just judging a movie for what it's going for. However, you spend so much time with these human characters too, that are all unlikable. Like I, I don't, and I didn't remember this about it. This was the thing where I was like, oh, I, I kind of just figured it would be Peter Jackson's cast of characters, but with talking more like this and, you know, maybe saying some misogynistic things here and there that I would have to kind of turn a blind eye to to enjoy. But honestly, it's it, no, it's, it's I don't know. It just kind of it didn't sit very well with me this time around from a content like a substance perspective. I will say that I think if this film was a silent film it would be a masterpiece that I think it's a masterpiece either way visually, but I think it would be an overall masterpiece of a film if it was a silent film because the music and the effects and the way they're shot and the way they're brought to life and how extended some of these monster fights are, which I didn't remember, which is really cool. The T-Rex fight, I mean, still holds up really well. It's just an incredible scene to watch. So all the big moments in the Empire State Building finale, of course, is great. All the big moments hit except for when you need emotional investment. And that's part of what takes a little bit away from that finale because I don't have the investment in this Kong that I do with later iterations of Kong. I guess I always felt that the sympathy for him was inherent to the franchise but or to the character, but it didn't feel that way in this one. He's the only time we really spend with him and Anne together building their quote unquote relationship, he's peeling off her clothes and sniffing his fingers after. It's disgusting. <laughs> and it's like, oh, that scene was hella creepy, not gonna lie. It's it's not okay. And it's I'm just so I don't know. I was really baffled by how gross this movie made me feel after it. Yeah, I'm a little surprised, a little caught off guard. I definitely knew there were going to be some things that have to, you know, again, just be like, okay, yep, that's, I know you've never been on a ship with a woman before. Like, okay, yep, we get it. But man, did this movie not age well outside of the effects? But oh the my effects God, that dude, amazing. Dude, that threw me off so much when I watched this again. Okay. For my latest rewatch. So you I had the like, same feeling I did. Oh, yeah. I was like, dude, I love this movie growing up. It was so awesome. It had like the swashbuckling adventure. And I was just like, yeah, I'm ready to, you know, get back and watch it. And I was like, oh, God, this movie is hella racist. What? It's nonstop, too. I mean, it's just like aggressive. Yeah, especially with like the Chinese cook that's on the boat. He he talking like this. And it's just it's like it's mm. painful. It's painful. And the. And again, even that felt mild compared to some of the what I think they were trying to make, because there's two arguments for this film in both directions. There's well, there's an argument for and an argument against. And the argument against is that it does feel very much like they're trying to 
depict Kong as a person of color who has stolen a white woman and he lashes out in violence and they try and quote unquote civilize him. And then he lashes out in violence and they have to kill him. And there's that look at it. But then there's also people who have tried to put a spin on it that it's anti-colonialism and basically that the main white characters are all depicted as, you know, these archetypal figures of greed and, you know, just kind of selfish close-mindedness and just want to capitalize off of something that's unique to them and then, or, you know, unknown to them and people's fear of that. And then trying to use that against or use that to benefit themselves and then it ends up turning on them, but then they don't really learn their lesson. So I don't know if I buy into that. And even then it's okay if the quote unquote bad guys win, but the last scene of the movie, the last, the last shot and the last quote, you know, the twas beauty killed the beast makes it sound like it's one of their faults, like the beauty or the beast. And the fact that we're left with that quote. And again, like it's spoken from Carl Denham, who's, especially in this version, like the ultimate piece of shit in the movie, aside from maybe Driscoll. They're, they're both horrible people. Oh, yeah. That's one, one thing I've always known is Carl Denham is supposed to be a bit of a scumbag, but I don't know why. He just didn't really come off as like kind of like a likable scumbag. Well, this, this. this movie doesn't depict, it doesn't seem to depict him in a way that the movie's aware he's a scumbag. It almost feels like it, it just lets him get away with it. Like it, it doesn't, I don't know. It, it doesn't feel like it ever. And again, I don't necessarily need the movie to, I'm a big proponent of, you know, not confusing a character's perspective necessarily for the filmmaker's perspective, right? Like I don't want to say that the filmmakers necessarily condoned Carl Denham's action and angle on things. However, there's also no clear message that they condemn it. And given that it's a time where you can kind of see them getting away with condoning something like that it leaves you to question like what really is this classic film about and what you know i'm I'm sure we could read essays and breakdowns of it but i don't think we'll ever really know like what the message of this film was and i feel like it's it's pretty muddy and the fact that they don't make it clear it's I wouldn't have a problem with it if they didn't kind of drop these deliberate issues in your lap. You know, I would be fine with turning off my brain and just enjoying the effects, even if it did have, you know, dated gross comment here and there, but it feels very much like there's that stuff at the forefront. And that's, that's where I'm kind of really uncomfortable and with it. And so much of it just seems in bad taste. Oh yeah, definitely. I didn't want to come away hating this movie, which I totally didn't because the special effects the cinematography the music that all saved it for me but narratively this movie just feels mean-spirited which i feel like you might have said and everything but i gotta i look at it through the lens of the 1930s and i know this is probably how the film in that era. this is the oldest movie i think i've ever watched not gonna lie when did wizard of oz come out was it before 39 so this is is even before wizard of oz so yeah Mm -hmm. i think this is probably the oldest movie i've ever watched so i just the racism stuff really holds the movie back for me yeah and again if if the movie let you forget about it it wouldn't be the end of the world but it really doesn't exactly because when the when they're just strictly on the island chasing after kong i'm in i'm into the movie because yep. it's just them exploring them trying to get to kong sure nothing bad 
Yeah. When they go and visit the natives, ooh, that's a little cringy. The the Chinese cook on the boat going, the crazy black man stole Anne. I was just like, I was sitting there cringing so hard. I mean, my dad and I would make fun of it all the time for how terribly that line is and everything. And yeah, yeah, it's just I don't know, the, the, like uh, just the stuff. Uh, I I totally couldn't be a person in the 1930s. <laughs> well, watching this film and feeling that gross after it, it it i have this feeling similar to like a kid finding out that santa's not real like this is always a film i just spoilers man <laughs> i know right this is always a film i just looked at as this iconic you know artifact of its time and it watching it now i mean it's it's a relic in the sense that it's it's very reminiscent of its time <laughs> however it does it's not proof that we have come a very very long way with it film. is it is And it's so unfortunate because of all the hard work put into bringing these visuals alive. Like what really makes this film stand out? I mean, we, we, what's so frustrating about this movie is that all this stuff we're talking about is the least that the filmmakers are really, you know, interested in. This is not why this film was popular back then. Why this film was popular was the effects. It was popular because no one really cared what the message is. I think, I think people were just amazed to see the spectacle. And it really was like the first time because they had done some stop motion monster movies in the past, but nothing was done to this scale. No. And that's what blew people's minds. We could sit here and just list shots that, work brilliantly i mean her getting pulled out of the little apartment building like the snake fight in the cave like there's so many little cool moments that just look brilliant and the way the fights were choreographed were so like rough and raw and way more modern feeling than i was expecting to intercut just no, a little ahead. to kind of yeah, talk of about the fight. Yeah. I just barely, before we recorded this podcast, rewatched the ending to Godzilla versus Kong. Um, and not going to lie, moments of the fight between Godzilla and Kong reminded me of the fight between the T-Rex and Kong. I can see just, that, actually. Yeah. And I can't get... I When I rewatched the movie, I could not get over how how good that fight still is to this day over 88 years later that fight still holds up yeah like you could argue like it's very clearly like you can see through some of the you can see through the curtains a little bit but i don't know it really does if you just let yourself give into that scene especially it it's just brilliant to watch i mean i love that there's no music during it it just feels like you're watching this fight take place but it also feels very cinematic it's a good combination of cinematic and real and i appreciated it for that i the movie really picks up once they get past the gate really right like that's kind of the oh yeah the point you have to that's the breaking point for this movie is you have to get past the gate on the island and once you get there the stuff that you come there for makes an appearance and you get less of the problematic human characters and more of the spectacle yeah crazy just action set piece after action set piece I was one thing that blows my mind is so when you're a kid, you don't really, you know, process runtimes and movies. I forget this movie's only like an hour and 40, but when they get past the gate, I can't get over how fast that goes. The movie just speeds through like 
well, it's like action piece, action piece, action piece. And I just, I couldn't, re- I didn't remember them being this quick and this close together. Well, I would, I would say Peter Jackson's has the same, it's much longer, but it has the same rhythm. And I remember a lot of people complaining. A lot of people's major complaint about Peter Jackson's is how much boat time there is, you know, like there's a lot of time on the boat before they get to the island. But if you look at it percentage wise of the film, they probably spend the same percentage of the film in this one on the boat. Right. Like there's a good like 35, 40 minutes before you get to Skull Island. Oh, this, yeah. Which, which I was that, surprised by. Exactly. Same. I thought this was kind of like a Skull Island thing where it, you know, spends maybe 20 minutes at the most from start to getting to the island. But no, I was that, that's one reason why I kind of had a hard time with this movie is that you were stuck on the boat with the sexism and the racism. And it's just like mm. not a single likable character. Not a single like, oh, can we, so while we're talking about that portion of the film, so I watched this on HBO Max yeah. and you've obviously seen the original cut of this film. Yeah, I have the Blu-ray from Warner Brothers and everything. Does Driscoll hit Anne? It's definitely an unintentional hit, but yes, there's a scene where he's like on the boat and he's like moving around talking, you know, commanding orders and he goes like that and it hits her in the face because she's like right behind him. So I have to go back and rewatch it. I, but I, th- I think I rewinded a couple times in the HBO in the version I watched on HBO Max. He's talking to her and they're just having a normal conversation. I mean, and for normal, it's him being like, all right, you're a woman. Get you're off the deck woman, of the ship. You're a woman. You don't belong yeah. here. Yeah, exactly. Um, a lot of that. And then all of a sudden he just it cuts to this like other shot, like this close up of him just looking at her going, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to hit you so hard or something like that. And I'm like, wait, what? He hit her? And it yeah, there was a, it wasn't like he was like purposely smacking her or anything. Um, he's on the top deck looking over like the middle of the deck, just sure. barking commands, you know, going, hey, get that pulled up and yada, yada, yada. And he goes oh, okay. like that behind him. And she had. Does it happen you, before they start the, the conversation? Yeah. Yes. Yes. It's right. Oh, before. OK. So I thought it was mid conversation because they I think I just missed the hit before it because. They talk about it and then all of a sudden, like, yeah. So I was, I was like, did he just outright? Cause he was kind of being snappy with her before he says that. So I'm like, wait, did they cut out a scene where he just like slaps her? So, which honestly wouldn't surprise me the way this movie goes, but. Yeah, no, like I said, I mean, that part, it was odd to watch, but at the same time, it's not like, you know, obviously hitting a woman's terrible, but it's like this one, they don't do it in the, you know, abusive way. It's just, you know, you're someone who's really getting into something and they move their arms and just, yeah, I don't know. That scene, it was weird. Cause he also doesn't apologize right off. Well, that's the thing, right? If it was a guy, he'd be like, Oh, sorry, sir. I didn't mean to hit you there. Got yeah. dust on your, sorry, on your suit jacket. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, yeah. So that's one thing that makes it a little uncomfortable is how long he goes without apologizing. And he I'm also just... berates her about other things before that. So it's like, yeah, he exactly. Ac- so it's just like, hits her mm. in the face, berates her and then goes, Hey, I guess I'm sorry about hitting you. <laughs> you're like, that's not how that works, dude. Yeah. No you, uh, reverse of everything. <laughs> yeah. But there were like little weird moments like that where I was just like, what? the fuck is happening in this movie and yeah i i really i think i remember this movie through the lens of growing up on peter jackson's kong and thinking that it had a lot of the same kind of like heartstrings and a lot of the same like little moments but i feel like and we'll get to it more but i feel like peter jackson's version was more how he viewed the movie and i think that's why it makes his his 
remake even more like watching this just reminded me how much it makes his his remake actually feel justified because a lot of people are like oh why did they just do the same characters in the same time period and and it's because they have two completely different tones i mean this one is much more just kind of like yeah you you either have action or you have unlikable people characters and that's literally the whole movie um people actually have character arcs in peter jackson's yeah and i think these characters are considered iconic because they helped create some of those archetypes of what we'd see later on in Hollywood movies, you know, but it's on their own. They're just really hollow and there's not much substance to them. And it's really disappointing because so the thirties, one thing I've kind of realized watching the thirties movies that I have is that the women far outplayed the fuck out of the the men in the thirties, like they got a lot of chances to have some really creative, cool characters and cool roles. And I was watching this documentary that was on HBO actually just called the movies. And it was talking about how, like there was a point in the thirties where a lot of great female roles were given. And you can tell because a lot of great female actresses came out and a lot of great actresses came out around then. And I feel like that stands true with this movie too. I like, I don't, I can't think of a lot of memorable male performances from the thirties. There's definitely some, but you know, there's definitely the big iconic ones, but like not in the way that the females dominated the thirties and Fay Ray, this is all to say that Fay Ray is easily the most memorable performance in this movie. And it just sucks that she's not given more to do, but she does. Sorry, go ahead. I was going to say, she just kind of has to play the ditzy blonde. Uh, yeah, but who's down on her luck. The joke's on them because she becomes the most iconic character of the movie, right? I mean, oh, definitely. When people think of this movie, they think of her being held by King Kong. They think of, you know, her getting pulled out of the apartment. And again, a lot of it's just her being tossed around and stuff. But I think the fact that she ends up being the star of this thing and she's. And she manages to do that by basically just scraping is really impressive. And, I, you know, you could give a lot of that to just her having that iconic look. But I think it helps that she has this very just magnetic presence, too. And I think she makes the best of a not ideal role here. I think that I don't think she's this is as iconic of a character. And I don't think those images are as iconic if they're anybody but her. Like they or they'd be iconic in different ways, you know, but I think she really kind of makes she really elevates this film. She's better than the film deserves, I think. Yeah, so I'm kind of also just looking at some uh, notes and stuff on Wikipedia, and they have a whole section dedicated to the racism in this movie. I mean, yeah, that's that's no surprise at all. Yeah. Okay, so stop hopping on the uh, racism. Let's just talk about the effects and the good stuff now. <laughs> yeah, the good stuff, which is yeah. Fay Ray and the effect. Oh, yeah. Willis O'Brien knocked it out of the park with the special effects in this movie. His stop motion is amazing, and I can totally see why it helped inspire Tamiyuki Tanaka and everyone in Toho to make Godzilla. Mm-hmm. And Jesus, to this day, I still can't get over how smooth everything moves. I, I think it took him something like 17 weeks just to do the King Kong versus the T-Rex fight. Jesus Christ. Yeah, yeah I, I think it was I something imagine. like that. I can't even imagine. Yeah, and... Oh my God. Like I'm one thing I'm really sad about is thanks to the way films were edited back in the thirties where they were just literally, they would cut the film and just toss it out because they had no idea for preservation back then. Cause they didn't think film would be this important, mm-hmm. but I really wish we got to see the lost spider scene, which got cut. 
which thanks to Peter Jackson, which is on the Warner Brothers Blu-ray of this, we get to see him remake the scene from what he could find because he is the biggest fanboy of this movie. He owns oh, yeah. props. He's a total King Kong nerd. He owns props from this movie. He owns like the original script and he went spent like months just trying to plan out and figure out how they would have done the original spider pit scene. And there's an amazing document. See, one thing I absolutely love is the Warner Brothers Blu-ray and home video release for this movie is amazing. It has like a two hour long documentary on just the making of this movie. And my dad and I watched it together and it is beautiful. It is so like, because it just gets into like the nitty gritty on the special effects, you know? Yeah, it was so cool. And Totally scientifically inaccurate for how the dinosaurs are portrayed. <laughs> eh, who cares? Fuck it. Yeah, brontosauruses cool. are not meat-eating dinosaurs. They are not carnivores. However, that brontosaurus eating, poking his head out of the lake and then eating that guy is fucking awesome. Oh, yeah. That was cool. <laughs> it's so cool. Yeah, I, I'm really I still, impressed with how the effects hold up. Sorry, go ahead. Uh, I was going to say, I still don't get why that guy climbed to the top of the tree when he was being chased by the brontosaurus. I'm like, guy, that is like the worst thing you could do. <laughs> There's a million other options. You do crazy things when you're uh, pooping your pants running from a dinosaur. Yep. Yeah, I, I'm i really impressed with how the effects hold up. It, it just sucks that it's like there's only so much you can talk about with this film because I feel like... I'm curious to see how it's going to age past today. Like, I, I know that now there's still plenty of people who hold it to high regard. I'm just very curious as to if it's going to stand the test of time overall, because it is it has a foggy legacy. And I don't think it's going to get any easier with the way ties are changing in politics and social dynamics. And I think, unfortunately, you know, while the effects are revolutionary and incredible for their time, and, and honestly, even today, they're brilliant to look at. I mean, I, if you tell any effects artists out there to try and recreate that, they, I mean, they'd have an extremely difficult time. even with Oh, especially technology. with just the design of the island alone, because apparently mm-hmm. they would film it through like different, they would literally have like different layers of stuff mm-hmm. that they would project onto. And it just would help because this, I, this I still don't know which version of Skull Island I love the most. I don't know if I love <laughs> Joden Vogue Roberts with how like tropical it feels at times, or if I love, you know, Peter Jackson did an excellent job trying to recreate the look of this Skull Island. Cause mm-hmm. it, I could seriously just sit there for hours, just looking at the Island itself because it is beautiful. It is haunting. I do think that. Yeah. And the way it's shot in this is really cool too. You know, the problematic elements with the natives aside, there were some really cool shots when they're first introduced. And yeah, everything. And I'm just such a sucker for the way films were shot back then because they they just wanted to make everything look like a little what's the word I'm looking for? Not a diagram, but like a, um, you know, diorama, I guess, like everything looks like this little mini playset in just the coolest way. Like it looks like you can just reach in there and just like play with these monsters like they're action figures. And it's so tactile and so visceral because it all was physical objects that they were using which was just so cool i i will say with king kong he looks honestly really awesome in a lot of these shots i what is it with was it a guy in a costume when they did the close-ups 
animatronic. They wow, were really? they went out and straight up did animatronics Holy in the 1930s. Shit. I have to like say life like life size too. So that's that's another reason why the effects are so like mind blowing is that's wild cuz the close up I don't like him as much in close up. Oh yeah, he looks kind of goofy. <laughs> yeah, but it's very impressive. That was a weirdly good uh listeners. I wish you could see Josh's face just now. He did, he did it very well. We you need to post that to the to Twitter or something or the gram so we can uh we can all see your your King Kong face. But yeah, I I wasn't crazy about it, but knowing that it's animatronic close up is, is really cool. It makes me like it a little more, but far away. I mean, he, he just looks amazing and he goes back and forth. They, they find that right balance between him being gorilla like and human like. So anyways, I feel like all of the different iterations of Kong are to varying degrees of both of how gorilla he is and how man he is. But I feel like the newest one is the most human-like. I feel like Peter Jackson's was the most gorilla-like. And this one is kind of feels like a hybrid of both. Definitely, definitely. Because to jump in to talk a little about Skull Island is they based that Kong a lot off this original and then Toho's, you know, Kong from King Kong versus Godzilla. So that was a cool connection for their Kong. But this Kong, there is actually some inconsistency with him, which they didn't really care for when they were making it because they just wanted they wanted him to be the centerpiece. Mm-hmm. Kind of like how with Godzilla in the original, they wanted him, they kind of beefed up his size for a few scenes just so he could have this looming presence over Tokyo. Sure. So you could always see him from like the streets and everything where in this one, he was supposed to be apparently when he's on the Island, he's like 18 feet tall. But when you move him to New York, he's apparently all of a sudden 25 feet tall. So they were very inconsistent with how they wanted to scale him, but they just wanted to make him look as imposing as he could be for each area that they were filming. That makes sense. Yeah, so also with this being claymation and puppetry and everything, there were like a little inconsistencies with the facial features and everything. And but nothing too distracting, like you would really have to pay attention to be able to pick up on which, you know, which model was being used where. Yeah, I mean, I was the type of person who barely noticed like suit changes from each Godzilla movie. So that 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 utterly shocks me still because of how inconsistent Godzilla's design is. I mean, there were certain there were certain ones where I was like, oh, yeah, that's definitely a different suit. But I mean, if, if it was just kind of like same framework, but different changes here and there, I didn't notice. And and that's basically what they're doing here. And so I, I just didn't I don't really I'm not very perceptive unless I've seen something like over and over again, then I'll start to pick up on it. But oh, one of my favorite all time pictures that exists on the Internet is Haru Nakajima sitting with the original puppet for Kong. This, that's amazing. This yeah, it's the skeleton that they build the puppet around. I forget the correct term for it. Excuse me, film critics and film buffs. <laughs> but yeah, that's one of my favorite pictures is the OG Kong meeting awesome. the OG Godzilla. Yeah, I. it's weird because, yeah, I don't have much to say about this because outside of the monster action, I don't appreciate much about this movie. But the monster action is like 50% of it. So it's not to take away from this movie's legacy. And like I said, technically, it's more impressive than a lot of stuff done today. And to say that about a film that's closing in on a hundred years old, you know, it's only going to be another little over a decade till it's a hundred years, years, baby. Yeah. Like that's, that's extremely impressive. And I cannot give this movie enough praise on that front. And again, the characters, as far as like what they do and the dialogue and all that, it serves its purpose. 
it just feels like so much screen time is wasted on these weird I don't know. It, it just feels culturally, it just doesn't feel relevant anymore in a lot of ways, um, unfortunately. And I, yeah, I really can only appreciate it from that technical aspect, I guess. The rest of the movie just keeps me at arm's length because of how poorly it aged. Yeah, that that part really bummed me out, especially after rewatching Gojira, because mm-hmm. watching the original Godzilla, you're just left with going, damn, this movie is a masterpiece like it, it gets even better with subsequent rewatches. Well, with yeah. This one, you're yeah. just like, oh god, that did not age well. I mean, yeah. granted, that is also 20 years between films, but it's still just like, oh god. Yeah, and the fact that you don't get anything problematic in the Godzilla series until the third film in, right? It's like this was just really disappointing in that sense, and and uh, you know, you can't to a certain degree, you can tell yourself it was just the time, but it does, you know, given the way we were raised and brought up and society we live in now, it's really hard to just kind of strip that stuff away, especially since so many ugly things have come out of that mindset and that these sort of, yeah, these ways of thinking. And and so it's really hard to take that stuff out of it. It is. And I'm usually pretty good at being able to do that. I'm usually able to appreciate things for what they are, but same, same. The, yeah, this one, it, it I'm, at least relieved to hear you feel the same way because I, I did not want to be sitting here shitting on a classic. And again, it is in every way, shape and form, you know, as iconic yeah, as people it des- make it out to be. It deserves its spot in film history. Definitely. I will. hundred percent. If someone tries to erase this from film history, it's like, no, 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 no. This just on the film and cinematography alone, this movie is amazing. I will say it's it's frustrating, though, going back to the comparison with the original Gojira. It is frustrating that Gojira isn't held to that same. Yeah, because uh, the special held on that same crude pedestal. And again, for their time, I, I would not say they're crude at all. I think it exactly. looks exactly I, I would take that over a million Transformers movies, you know, just due to <laughs> just any any time. No one can handle the Bayham. No, you can't. You can't. But yeah, it, it is frustrating that Gojira isn't held up to that standard. But I think a lot of it was just what people were looking for back then. I think people weren't, I think a lot of people weren't ready even 20 years after Kong for a movie like Godzilla, because I think they wanted another Kong and at least American audiences did, you know, and they, they tried with the whole Raymond Burr editions and stuff like that, but it just doesn't, it doesn't work the same as Gojira on its own, which is a total, it's totally on beast. So that being said, I'm glad we both kind of feel the same way about this movie. Same. Um, same. It is what it is. <laughs> I definitely think that if you're listening to this and you haven't seen the original King Kong, this might sound blasphemous. I don't think it's a. Uh, I don't think it's a crime to watch this on HBO Max and fast forward to the monster shit because really, that's if you're not watching this, that's all you're missing out on. And those things are incredible. They still hold up today. They look amazing. Just watch from when they open the gate and start exploring the island. Yep. The gate is your, uh, you know, watch that iconic scene when she's sacrificed too. That's really good. But, you know, keep in mind that you're going to see some dated stuff, especially if you're really sensitive to that. This is not going to be your movie. But, you know, if you're able to kind of take that stuff with a grain of salt, then I absolutely say watch this for just the visual spectacle. I think us just, and we sound repetitive here, but I really can't give it enough praise. And I feel like because there's, it's not as easy to talk about that stuff as it is 
if we were to, you know, dial in on the metaphors and the dialogue, but there's really, I, I feel like that stuff doesn't, isn't as interesting or have as much depth as the technical stuff here. And I think that was kind of the intention of the filmmakers. So definitely, definitely. So want to move on to the less uh, cringeworthy <laughs> and uncomfortableness. Let's do it, man. All right. Peter Jackson's King Kong returns to the 1933 setting of the original and brings back many of the original characters. Once again, film director Carl Denham leads an expedition to the uncharted Skull Island in order to film his latest picture. But he and his crew get more than they bargain for when the natives kidnap the leading lady and Darrow and sacrifice to their giant ape god Kong. Writer Jack Driscoll heads a rescue mission into the jungle, where the crew are faced with all manner of horrors from the prehistoric age. And meanwhile, begins to empathize with Kong after the huge ape reveals his gentler side and protects her from more malevolent denizens of the island. When Jack finally rescues Anne, Denim captures Kong and brings him to New York City to display on Broadway. After Kong escapes and captures Anne once more, leads to a recreation of the iconic climax duel between Kong and the airplanes atop the Empire State Building. I adore this movie. This is honestly in my top five all-time favorite movies. This movie to me is the, if you want to watch the original story, watch Peter Jackson's. Seriously, like this is the most fateful recreation. This is one of the few times a remake was warranted and needed. Yeah, yeah. And I'm surprised to be agreeing with that, honestly, because I, like I said, watching this, I always kind of felt like, man, I'm going to watch the original and then just realize how much of this was taken from that. But what he does instead is not only is it extremely extended, which is not going to be for everybody, but remember, he did make the Lord of the Rings movies, so he knows how to do three hour films. Oh, yeah. This is a long fucking movie. But what he does is he injects every bit of it with heart. And I don't think it always works. This movie absolutely has its imperfections. However, it is through a very clear emotional lens that you get to experience all this stuff. And the fact that heart is put in the forefront when you have all these like crazy things going on, it allows you to invest more in those blockbuster moments, which is, you know, when there wasn't, when there weren't blockbuster moments going on in the original King Kong, I was completely uninvested. But in this one, I'm all in because I care about these characters. I don't think they're all perfect characters. I think they're a little, you know, here and there, there's some wasted moments. There's some arcs that end up going nowhere, but it's just, you can Jimmy feel, Hill. yeah, right. You can feel the love on the screen, like with it just seeping out of every frame. It, it's just, this man is, there, I, there's something I love about, these completely blown out epic movies. It reminds me a lot of Francis Ford Coppola's Bram Stoker's Dracula, where it's like the production design and everything is just dialed up to this like insane blown out vision of the story. And they go over the top and possibly every angle. And it just feels like this complete unfiltered vision, much like that movie did. So like, I, I love that. And it, it does not feel like it's just riffing on the original. It feels like it's really doing its own thing. And by the end of it, its interpretation of the story, its interpretation of the characters has a lot more taste and a lot more fits my sensibilities a lot more and not just politically and socially, but, you know, in just a film sense and in a, in a, the way a film captures me, this 
very much gets my sensibilities a lot more than than the original. I think that's my best way to explain why I think this one works so much better. I think the cast is fantastic. I think I adore the cast in this movie. So what's your thoughts? Obviously the big, let's kind of do a little breakdown here. Cause I feel like there's a lot of movie to unpack here. Yeah. And I feel like um, a lot more substance for the movie. For me, the way the runtime split up, it almost feels like three separate mini movies. Yes. It spends like an hour or so you know in new york city and on the boat mm-hmm. and i think at most an hour and let's say call it like an hour and 10 minutes on the island itself from you know them reaching the island to them getting kong off and that's then, definitely the longest portion of the movie and call it the last 40 minutes would be new york city and end credits yep yeah and I love the fact that they take the time to kind of set up the characters. I'll admit a little bit of the character stuff's a little cringy. Like when Anne first meets Jack, that was a little awkward. I kind of liked it though. It was dopey Hollywood stuff. And it's it's better than Adrian Brody being like, oh, you're a woman. Gross. (laughs) (laughs) It's it was a obviously a very different you know let's let's talk about the cast just in general and the characters in this and kind of how they're interpreted differently from the original so carl denham first off is jack black in this how do you feel about jack black's performance it's a little over the top at times but (laughs) i love him in this movie i feel this is one of the very few times he really works as an actor because obviously i know him as jables Yep, we all we both know him as a half of Tenacious D. Because it's the back. <laughs> and there's a few moments in this where Jack Black slips out, where like Jack Black slips out. You know, there's the boobies, <laughs> which <laughs> I can't believe was the line in this, but there's absolutely a line where Jack Black's eyes light up and he goes, boobies? Um, God damn it, Jables. However, when he's in sort of egomaniac mode when he's in like obsessive oh yeah manipulative mode he's incredible and i think he really really works for this character and sells that like he's he's what you were talking about he's a scumbag that you you can't help but like and you get why people fall for his bullshit you know like when he's talking jack driscoll into staying on the boat as the boat's taking off oh yeah he's like uh what's today's date Oh, yeah, or oh, he's writing he him a check. This? Yeah, yeah, he's like, oh, and how much was it for again? And Adrian Brody's like, look, I really got to go. But because Jack Black is working his magic, he's keeping him on the boat. And there, there's moments like that where that could have been such a simple scene. Like that could have been just like this, you know, Jack Black gets him talking and Adrian Brody's just sort of like, okay, look, man, I really got to go. And then goes outside and then realizes the boat is taken off. And then Jack Black's like, yes, my plan worked. But instead they drag it out to this ridiculous degree where it almost creates this tension. He's able to have these moments where he puts these moments in a bottle where you feel for a moment like that is the biggest climax that you could possibly build to, you know, he manages to make these small little moments of minutia sort of feel like these big conflicts. And because of that, when the huge stuff comes, it feels even bigger and even grander. And I think he does a really good job of that. And those are the sort of character moments where if you're not hundred percent sold on all their arcs, the relationships between the characters are at least done pretty well, at least significantly better, I think, than, than the original. And Jack does some really good facial acting. There's like yeah. when he 
discovers his camera's broken at the bottom of the log, you know, the mm-hmm. spider pit and everything, that was just you can just see the desperation and the anger. It's kind of heartbreaking. Yeah. Yeah. And um, then and that's where he snaps too. That's where he starts yeah. going nuts. Yeah. And then there's the scene right after. So their first after their first expedition on the island before Anne gets captured and everything. And they're still trying to get the boat free. And we see like he's sitting there like drinking. And he's going, we'll promise, you know, X funds to the family of, you know, people who mm-hmm. just barely died on the island. I forget which characters they were. Yeah got killed and everything but it was just i think also another reason i love this movie is the video game that got tied in because it also kind of explored the characters a little more yeah ever since i've been looking into stuff on this movie videos on that game have been recommended to me and i didn't know it had such a big cult following oh yeah it's one of the highest rated video adaptations but video game adaptations but hey that's a story for another day let's yeah (laughs) <laughs> yeah because you and i grew up playing that a lot yep okay one thing i found really interesting is how they changed jack driscoll in this movie from first mate to a playwright yeah or screenwriter i should say because he did both plays and film so that was an interesting take because it makes him become the unlikely hero yeah he's now more the romantic hero right like than the action guy and it's kind of funny because so kyle chandler is in this as the actor which of course he's also in godzilla so that's cool godzilla king of the monsters but what's so great about it is it it kind of feels like peter jackson's aware of the more dated aspects of oh the dated dialogue from from the original King Kong is the actual dialogue that they're using to film the movie. Okay. I thought, right. Cause when they're on the deck of the ship, he says something like, Oh, well, I've never been on the ship with a woman before. And I didn't realize yeah. that was a quote from the original. Yeah. Um, so Another I like little... that he's self-aware of that despite loving it. You know, he's able to yeah. see through that. And one of my other little favorite scenes is when they're in the taxi and they're getting ready to get to the boat and everything. Mm-hmm. And um, they're looking for a leading actress. And they're like, what about Faye Ray? And Jack's like, oh, yeah. she's, a, excuse me, Carl's like, oh, she's off doing a picture with RKO yeah. Studios. Doing one is- of those RKO pictures. Yeah. Yeah. It's funny. So th- it's little callbacks and Easter eggs like that that I absolutely adore this movie for. Speaking of uh, the actress that they find, I don't remember thinking this when I was younger. In fact, I remember distinctly thinking something was off with her performance when I was younger. Watching it now... Naomi Watts fucking kills it in this. Like, do you do you feel that oh, way? I do. I was I like, love her. Whoa. I love her in this movie, and it kind of bothered me. I never really saw or heard of her after this movie. Like, I know I she's like I have, but I can't think of what exactly. Like, I've yeah. I've seen her here and there, but I haven't seen her in like anything this major, which sucks because she, like you said, Naomi Watts kills it in this movie. Because she mainly has to act against CG and be able to do that is. And yeah, I mean, she does very similarly to what Faye Ray was doing in the first one. She has to do a lot of acting with not a lot of dialogue. There's less screaming here, but she there's especially towards the later moments where she has to bond with Kong. Those moments are what I think. Those are the big make or break moments here. And she absolutely nails those. I mean, the scene where she's dancing and because she has this like history and comedy and yeah, vaudeville. 
Yeah, she's just this really quirky, lovable character. And she has the scene where she uses that to her advantage to entertain Kong. And he thinks it's really funny when she falls down. So he keeps knocking her over. And eventually at one point, she she's like, tells no. Him no. And he just has a big tantrum. Away. Yep. And I love that. I, I Oh, it, it's such a beautiful scene. And it, it's so well done. And there's moments like that that I just desperately... I feel like we're desperately needed to make you sympathize with King Kong and man, did they nail that in this? That's this movie's biggest triumph. Part of that due to the effects, which we can get into. One of my favorite scenes is when they finally get to Kong's home atop the skull mountain or whatever it's called in this movie. Mm -hmm. And they're just overlooking the Island and she does like beautiful or Mm -hmm. I don't know if she signs it or she signs it. She does. Okay. And, and says it, I think, but she's saying it and showing him what it means. Yeah. And that whole scene is just Kong's just like worn out from the day from, you know, fighting some V-Rexes and it's beating ass. Yeah. He's just like, it's quiet. This movie lives through its quiet moments like that. And I mm-hmm. love it because it that's something I wish more monster movies would do is take those quiet moments with the creatures because then you get more sympathy with them mm-hmm. and understand them more as characters instead of just mindless monsters. And Definitely. I can't believe we've gone this entire time without saying how amazing Andy Serkis was in this movie. As okay, Kong. so yes, while we're still kind of at the end of talking about the cast, holy shit, is he... Because I remember really being like, come on now, give him an Oscar when like we were in the middle of the, the Apes trilogy. But come on, he did Gollum in this back to back. And I forgot how good he was in this. Like, it really just, the effects themselves are very good. Like, they still hold up pretty well, especially on King Kong himself. But combine that with the nuances of his facial performance. And you have probably one of my favorite iterations of, well, if not my number one favorite iteration of the character. I mean, he's he's just so fucking, like, human and it hurts and you know exactly how he's feeling and you need that you need that it's one of the few times that like cgi is so justified because you need to see those human emotions for this story to work the way peter jackson wants it to and he's able to just manipulate you like a puppet on strings with this character because you just you you fawn for him. You just feel so bad for him. And you genuinely like you're frustrated when he's frustrated and you're happy when he's happy. And it's just, yeah, it's, it's really a Marvel. And while the original nails this sort of like revolutionary spectacle element of the visuals, this one nails connecting that spectacle to a soul, you know, to a human soul and really being able to, allow you to connect and sort of bridge that gap between this being empty spectacle and you know um drama one of my favorite scenes for kong in this movie is right after the v-rex fight he's just taken down the third one Mm -hmm. and uh he's done his climactic roar and everything Mm -hmm. and then he's all like turns a cold shoulder and he's like not that i did this for you or anything like (laughs) yeah he's like i don't care or anything no no and she's like trying to get his attention and uh, And i I love that little moment it's little moments like that that i love kong in this movie and it's cool too because because he has so much personality the moments that peter jackson pulls directly from the original resonate a little more like the whole 
playing with the jaw of the V-Rex after snapping it. Oh, yeah. That's obviously a scene from the original, but also plays differently here. It's a little more playful, almost. It's a little more like quirky and weird because you get this vibe you're like you know this is someone who likes watching people fall down you know and like he just made this v-rex fall down so now he like he just has this curiosity about him that i think plays really well with that's the monkey brain yeah whereas in the first one it kind of just seems like he's like hey you are dead right okay cool and then pounds on his chest it does the victory yell but like here it just feels so much more there's something so much more like funky about it that i kind of like i don't know how to describe it it's cool one thing i totally didn't know until one of my i actually listened to the audio commentary on this movie back when i had it on dvd when they had to separate the movie onto two separate discs because of how long it was and everything but during the audio commentary for it peter jackson talks about how kong rips the tongue out of the last t-rex thing and I totally didn't know that. But when you watch that movie again, you can see it's like he charges at Kong and Kong grabs the jaw and he's like about to do the jaw snap. But instead he grabs the tongue and rips it out of the V-Rex's mouth. And it's little details like that that I never noticed on my first and second rewatches. So, yeah, let's. um, Those little moments are cool. I do want to talk about the action in general, because I feel like there's times where it's done really well. And then there's times where it doesn't always work for me. And I don't know if you feel this way, because I know you really love this movie too, but how do you feel about the stampede? Yes. I want to know your stampede thoughts. For the most part, I actually like that action scene. Yeah, the CG doesn't hold up for the most part on some of those shots. I'm 100% okay. My brain's full spectacle mode during that. (laughs) Yeah. I'm okay with that scene. And. I will admit the ending, though, when they're all like piled up on each other, that CG did not age well. So there's times it's not just the CG that doesn't work for me, because I will say that the blending of the live action and CG elements don't work super well for me in that sequence. However, where the scene really doesn't work for me is the fact that it starts to feel a little Peter Jackson has this theme parky sensibility that sometimes he's able to restrain and other times it's like hit he just dials these action scenes up to this ridiculous degree to where they feel like a weird theme park and that's one of those scenes and i feel like it it kind of feels like a hint at what we would later see in say like the hobbit movies where you get the like river raft or the like the they're floating in the barrels down the river and it's just like the stupid dopey action scene that is just like it feels so cartoony, you know, and it it feels like it belongs in a kid's movie. And that's kind of what this one felt like with just how over the top it was. Yeah. I'll admit this is probably the most over top action scene in the entire movie. And, and which I wouldn't mind if it had a purpose, but it just doesn't, you know, and like every other action scene has a very distinct feel and look to it and purpose. You know, I mean, the V-Rex fight is obviously a centerpiece. It's the like, highlight of king kong just being this big majestic creature and him sort of displaying his power to Anne, and also showing that he actually cares about her that's important to the story and is a scene that is beloved and necessary for the film the scene where they're fighting the insects in like the little canyon that scene's necessary because the whole movie they're just getting the shit kicked out of them by this island essentially and the character you really feel this like 
desperation in that scene. And while you could argue it's maybe not entirely necessary, I do like it because, like you said, that's when Carl finds the camera broken. That's when, you know, Adrian Brody's wondering if he's ever going to be able to save. And it's just this really like... Hayes also just died. Yeah, it's, it's that kick to the ground moment that your heroes usually have before they rise up and make it out of there. And I feel like it, it it's needed in that sense. Al Chandler was a badass in that scene, singing on the vines with a Tommy <laughs> know, gun going, bah, 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 bah. I love it so much. And it shows how he's kind of unfazed by all this when like it shows that that's his experience, whereas Adrian Brody's experience is more horrifying, which is why they both end up having different attitudes when they get out of there. Um, Adrian Brody's like, wow, I should really appreciate the fact that I have a chance to live out my dream and try and make this play and maybe try and go find Anne. Whereas like Kyle Chandler's character is just kind of like, yeah, I'm going to make money off this Kong fella. (laughs) It's just with Carl. But yeah, I, I feel like all the action works really well, except for that stampede for me. It's the one scene that just felt, I feel like it could have just been something smaller. It could have been as simple as what the first one had where like they throw like a Maltov at a Stegosaurus or something like it could have, I would have been fine with that. There's the regular cut, which is three hours and seven minutes. And then there's the the ultimate edition cut, which is three hours and 20 minutes. And that's my favorite version is the three hour and 20 minutes because it adds um, some more scenes on the island, which for some reason, when you watch it, it's like, I can get why one of them was cut. Uh, one of them is they, they're on the island and they hear rustling in the trees and they think it's another monster because this is after them having explored and already run into them. So they just start opening fire and they're like, oh shit, that could have been Anne because they're kind of intersplicing it with Anne. And I believe she's running, I think it might be before the T-Rex fight. Can't mm-hmm. quite remember. Um, but she's running from something, so they're like splicing it together, and you hear, you know, thudding as something's been shot and falls down. But it turns out it's only just a wild animal, and gotcha. I totally get why that one was cut because it doesn't really lead anywhere. It's kind of no. suspenseful for the sake of being suspenseful. But when the two scenes I don't know why got cut was there's one where we get introduced to like a triceratops type dinosaur. Okay. Um, a lot of these dinosaurs are fictional takes on real ones, mm-hmm. um, which is a little weird. I mean, it's, dinosaurs aren't copyrighted, so why why can't you just reuse <laughs> real dinosaurs? But right at it's right after they go through the gate, they run into this um, triceratops type dinosaur that beats the shit out of them, and it ends up referencing the Stegosaurus fight from the original. So I'm like, why didn't they why did they cut that out? <laughs> And then there's a whole nother scene that really should not have been cut from the theatrical one. And it's the raft scene that that's completely cut from the theatrical cut. Of the What's movie. the raft scene? See, exactly. You don't even know it. And it's one of the coolest action scenes. So um, just like in the original, they find a body of water that they need to cross. Mm-hmm. And instead of being just this open lake, it's a swamp. So it already adds to that grossness to it. Okay. And so as they're going across it, you know, this new creature comes and attacks them. And it's so cool. It's like there's, it mixes, you know, water shot, you know, filming underwater. It, it, there's both practical and CG in it. And it's just really cool and a great action scene because it kills off a couple of side characters. And, you know, Jack almost dies, not black, but Driscoll. Yeah. Um. He almost dies during that. And you just, that's when it's close to when 
I think Kyle Chandler goes to leave the party at that point because this is when the, this oh, okay. is the fight that leads them to go. Maybe we're taking this too far. We're losing too many people. And then the bug scene happens right after that. And again, like for spectacle's sake, that works. But I don't know if that's necessarily needed for the story. But I do I do like how once they get to the island, it very much plays out like the original where it's just action set piece after, after action set piece of like, you know, they just get worn down to this point where they just don't know if they can go on anymore. And I, I do appreciate that. And I like that. It sounds like that scene adds to that. Oh, yeah, it does. It does. It's one of my favorite scenes. Um, mm-hmm. A lot of these scenes are available on Universal's YouTube page, so they're free to view whenever, which is primo. I love it when film companies do that. Yep. And so unlike the original where it's spectacle, spectacle, spectacle on the island, um, they actually use some small scenes with Anne and Kong to help kind of even it out, give us a little breather between the action set pieces, which is really nice. Well, those are the best moments on the island for me personally. The action's all great, and I really like it. Like I said, aside from the stampede scene, but yeah, I mean the their relationship, the way they play that out, really has this realistic arc to it, and they give it just enough time to breathe. I don't think it needed any more or any less. But um, yeah, exactly, it doesn't overstay their welcome for that relationship being developed and everything, which is nice. Yeah, absolutely, but. No, I enjoyed this just as much as I thought I would on rewatch. I think it's interesting too, because the real emotion, the emotional core of the film slowly builds and then doesn't really kick in till the one part of the film we haven't talked about yet, which is them returning to New York. Uh, oh yeah. Dude, when they capture Kong, that is one of the most heartbreaking oh. scenes to watch. Especially <laughs> it's when- fucking rough. Especially when I think it's Carl just smashes one of the chloroform. That's what they use, right? Yes. Uh, right off Kong's face, like right mm-hmm. at the end. And and you know, Jack's or yeah, Jack is trying to hold Anne back and she's like screaming, Leave him alone. And oh dude, that's hard to watch. And they're like shooting harpoons into Kong, and I'm just like, Oh Yeah, I mean oh, Carl no. Denham looks like such a piece of shit here. Oh and... dude, Jack is Jack Black is living that role in that moment. He's, he sells this part so well i I think this is where he really comes into his own as the character around this point in the movie because yeah he becomes full like full crazy he goes full crazy and i think it works really well because we've watched him slowly progress to get there and we've watched everyone tell him he can't do what he wants to do and we've watched his dreams of fame and money slowly slipping out of his hands until he sees you know capturing king kong as his last chance yeah and you get to watch that arc it's not like the Carl Denham on, in the movie where it's just like, well, the, the moving picture didn't work out. So now we'll just take this big monkey home. You know, and that, this felt much more like an actual arc here. And I mean, I love how desperate I love how insecure his character feels. And I love how that takes control of him and, and turns him into this monster, you know, for lack of a better term. But yeah, then we get to New York and we get this movie's version of the big finale and it, we get a little lead up to it, it, of course. What is it? There's no train destruction. <laughs> oh, geez. Yep. The one <laughs> thing I, I was like, because they made it such a spectacle in the original when Kong uh-huh. destroys the train. And then yep. they even did that in the piece of shit 76 one. And then, <laughs> you know, Kong and King Kong versus Godzilla destroys a train. What's he doing this one? Beats up a trolley and that's it. 
I'm just like, <laughs> oh, okay. I don't know. I, I kind of like it because it feels very like, um, I like that the destruction's fairly minimal. Like, I feel like it kind of shows like he basically runs around a street, although they do show him just like whipping people around. Like there's so many oh, shots yeah. of him, like, Oh yeah. The, the scene where he's frantically picking up blonde ladies thinking that they're Anne and then looking at them and going, "Uh oh, and then throwing the girl. It's off like screen. Godzilla when he's ripping apart her door, just throwing them over his shoulder. Yeah. Except these are living people and they're getting tossed off screen and you're like, Oh, she's dead. She's dead. She's dead. Oh it's yeah. The, pretty ridiculous. I, I'm can't remember if this is the, if I'm thinking of the OG one or if I'm, if it's in this one but i remember him being on like not quite to the empire state but he's uh okay this is the original i'm thinking of uh but he breaks open an apartment building in the original and he picks up a mm-hmm. woman that's not Anne, and he just drops her oh, from, that's like, it. yeah for some reason her. i thought it was Anne he picks up there but yeah no it's not no no i was uh, i couldn't remember i'm confusing those two just because of how similar the endings are because mm-hmm. in this um, one Anne approaches kong from the street yeah and uh, one of a very beautiful shot mine oh yeah her but... coming out of like kind of the fog and yeah seeing kong for the first time which the build-up there is really good because we see everyone um you know we we kind of skipped over the transition there but we see everyone kind of where they've been since they got back from the island um we see jack's trying to make his book we see carl denham has kong like chained up and you Everyone's have, patting uh, him on the back, and yeah, who is it? Like Colin Hanks is standing in the audience with a scar, just going, "People died for this, <laughs> more <Yeah>. or less." <laughs> and then, uh, freaking, uh, what's his name? Kyle Chandler's character is all like, "Ha ha! I was the big action oh, hero. I was one who saved Anne." And he's being a chode as always. I uh, do. He, he plays such a lovable douchebag in this movie. I love it. Yeah, I I do love the the beautiful. He really does. I do love the the beautiful switch up moment where they kind of trick you into thinking that Anne is actually there, and it's like this blonde lady tied up in front of Kong. They're kind of recreating the sacrifice moment, and then he looks at her and he just has this horrified like, "You're not Anne." Look. And it's so good. And that's when he snaps and loses it. And that's when he starts picking up blonde chicks and throwing them around. I want to say one thing is uh, they, for the stage show with Kong being chained up, they play music from the original 1933 one. Oh, and then they cool. have the characters dressed as the Islanders did in the 1933 yep. one, which that, that is how you do a callback in my opinion. Yeah. I, and again, I'm amazed at how original this movie feels despite taking so much from the, the original film. So how do you, how do you feel the, the skyscraper scene or the empire state building scene stacks up? It's a little drawn out. Not going to lie. That's fair. It's, it's still really good. Um, mm-hmm. I do like how they literally cut the light from Kong's eyes when he dies. Yeah. That, that, that whole ending is just it, it, it's a tearjerker not um, do you notice he gandalfs king kong at the end so in you fools <laughs> no 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 like legitimately the way it's edited the way it's shot is done almost the exact same way so as gandalf slipping off the cliff the music cuts we hear no music we just see him slipping and we get this like above head shot right of him just slipping and you just hear and he just falls and they do that exact same shot with that exact same like 
cutting of the music and sound when King Kong falls. Like I'd have to rewatch Lord of the Rings again because it's been a hot minute. It's been over a year. Oh man. Oh, it's been like two years at this point since I last watched Lord of the Rings. Dude, so you gotta do to those annually. Come on. Oh, I know. Hey man, that's eleven <laughs> hours that you gotta sink in right there, man. We devoted more than that to the show era of Godzilla in yeah, like Godzilla. in like a week and a half. But yeah, so I, I feel like that was a very just Peter Jackson moment, but I, I love the way it was done. I mean, it's effective in on both occasions. I could be wrong, but I feel like it's it's edited and, and shot very similarly and has the same amount of emotional gut punch. How have we also not talked about the fact that he made this right after doing Return of the King? There was no break. There's yeah. no breaks. He did Fellowship, Two Towers, Return of the King, and then there is... So Return of the King is what, 2003? Mm-hmm. I think so, yeah. So then this one came out, yeah, technically two years later, but there wasn't any break between productions. So a lot of the same production people that were working on mm-hmm. the Lord of the Rings trilogy moved over to this one well well keep in mind i think he shot all of the the lord of the rings films at once so you get, oh yeah those were back to back to back so they had a little everything. bit of a breather they had a few years to be like okay let's chill out and then peter jackson's like look alive boys and girls we're, <laughs> we're we got another three hour epic coming but yeah i i think i agree that the empire state building climax is a little more drawn out here but again it's i feel like emotionally it's far more effective Oh yeah, especially where sorry to cut you off, but there's um the one scene I really do like is when they're watching the sunrise. Because mm-hmm. that's one thing they actually talk about in the because of course the making of this movie is as long as the movie its fucking self. Naturally. Yeah. So one of the things that they because they actually went to the Empire State Building in real oh, life cool. and stuff to kind of get an idea of what it's like to look out and see New York City. Yeah, which I wish I got to do when I went to New York. Instead, I just got to touch the Empire State Building. (laughs) But one thing that was really cool was when you're at top of the Empire State Building, you see the sunrise before everyone else does. Mm -hmm. So one thing that was really cool in that scene is Anne and Kong are just sitting there kind of like not at the exact top, but close to it. Mm -hmm. And Kong's doing the symbol for beautiful. Yeah. Which was which that was just a really nice scene mm-hmm. a good callback to when he was on the island as well and again it's little touches like that just taking moments from the original and injecting them with that heart and soul he's known for i think really really makes this movie one of a kind and i would say anyone who if you watch this movie i don't think personally and i know josh you'll agree with this if you watch this and you don't watch the original i don't think it's a crime i think this movie is oh yeah no 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 fantastic i like it better personally you know it's obviously not as monumental for what it did for its time it obviously relies a lot on pillars built by the original however i think this is my favorite interpretation of the story um of the oh definitely this is this is easily my favorite king kong movie of all time there's no if ands or buts this when i think king kong this is the one i think of yeah i feel that way too all right man you got anything else to say on peter jackson before we we hop over to the next one yeah so i think the only real quote-unquote problematic thing this one has is possibly the way the natives are portrayed i can't tell either i can't I'm right yeah. there with you. I like, have no idea. They're played as like cannibals, but at the same time, like the way the story shows, 
is they're driven from the center of the island to the outskirts where there's not much vegetation anymore. And mm-hmm. yeah, there's a whole like backstory to the island sinking and everything. But uh, yeah, I don't have a person. I personally don't have an issue with how they're portrayed, but I know some people do. I mean, I'm not, I'm not the most knowledgeable person as far as um cultures go i i have no idea if this there's a specific this one just feels it feels less specific to me what they're the depiction of these characters like it doesn't feel like they're they're taking on a certain race or culture of people here and depicting them so for me i i think it's okay because they feel kind of ambiguous and they feel specific to the movie but if that if this is some sort of you know more direct depiction of a, of a specific pe- group of people, you know, I obviously would, would feel similarly, not as bad, but similarly, you know, iffy about it is that is the early one, but yeah, I can't, I can't oh, yeah. tell exactly. I'm with you. It's, I think it's kept vague enough. I think there's the characters are depicted so just mysteriously that I feel like, I feel like it works, you know, like I'm kind of, I feel like it feels like its own thing specific to the movie that it, you know, I think it's, I think it's fine. I think. Yeah, same. Definitely. All um, right. Let's uh, move on to Kong Skull Island. All right. So Kong Skull Island in 1973, during the closing days of the Vietnam War, the U.S. government approves a joint expedition between Landsat and the scientific organization Monarch to the newly charted Skull Island. Accompanying the scientists are a military escort headed by Colonel Preston Packard, ex-British SAS tracker James Conrad, and anti-war photographer Mason Weaver. After successfully reaching the island via helicopters and dropping seismic charges to map the island, expedition is brought down by the island's self-appointed guardian, the 100-foot ape known as Kong. The survivors navigate the perils of the island and encounter stranded World War II pilot Hank Marlowe and the native Iwi people while Packard plans to take his revenge on Kong by salvaging weapons from a downed chopper. But the greatest danger on the island lies in the vile skull crawlers, voracious reptile predators, reptilian predators, which have been drawn to the surface by the seismic charges. Now Conrad and his allies must save Kong from Packard's vengeance, lest the largest and most powerful of the skull crawlers, the skull devil, rises again. So this movie's a lot of fun. This is the only one of these three movies that I feel like you could describe that way. While I love Peter Jackson's movie and it's, and I love the action scenes in the original and they're both a ton of fun to watch. This is the only one as a whole, I would call a fun movie. When I first saw it, I thought it was okay. And then ever since then, the more I've watched it, I really like it. I think the twist of it being having a Vietnam setting was really neat or almost post Vietnam. And I, I love Vietnam movies. I really do. They all kind of have the same samey soundtrack, which we talked about when we watched this together. But um, I do feel like I'm able to look past that. And I, I like the overall look and vibe of the film. It has these, well, the other two Kongs both have a very naturalistic look to them. Um, this one has a more stylized, vibrant, colorful look which I think really works. Kong is fucking huge in this and he is definitely less the sort of, we get a lot less of his perspective in this one. However, when he's in it, his moments are amazing. And it's, it's more kind of uh, he's more viewed as a almost like 
some sort of ethereal guardian or god here than like and just kind of a big creature you know so when he shows up his moments have a different feel they have a more epic feel they have a more just kind of you're not as worried about him when he throws down in this you're just kind of you're more worried about whatever he's throwing down against for the most part in this the cgi is fucking cool and yeah this is a movie where the more i learned to turn my brain off with this one and just kind of like go with it the last stuff annoyed me sometimes i can't do that with films but this one really makes that easy i think and it's it's a pretty breezy watch except for like one i could say towards the end before the big climax it drags like a little but um yeah this one's just a ton of fun big cast of characters all great actors some of them work better than others but overall i really enjoyed this one yeah, like I said at the beginning, this is the only Kong movie I've ever had the chance to see in theaters. And I was sadly in college during this, so I didn't get to see it multiple times. Like I have like past Godzilla movies and everything. And mm-hmm. like now we're, you know, we're in a fucking pandemic, so it's kind of hard to go to the theaters now. But um, yeah, I was on the edge of my seat when I was in theaters back in 2017. This was one of the coolest things I got to see. Because for me, you know, giant monster movies aren't popular, you know, as popular now. Um, So being able to see giant monster movies with a big Hollywood budget, this just, this put a smile on my face to quote Thanos. I was a giddy little kid. Like I remember coming home and uh, thanks to, you know, us recording, you know, tag end of April or tag end of March, beginning of April. I remember on my Facebook memories because Kong came out in March of 2017. I remember seeing on my Facebook memories posting, this movie reminded me how to genuinely be happy and everything. Cause I was going through a rough time and I was in college. It was not fun at that time. So this movie came out at the perfect time for me. I was just like, I needed to lift, you know, pick me up because I think this came out after Logan and Logan just made me depressed. Oh God. I love Logan. I love being depressed with Logan. See, I'm the polar opposite. I don't want to watch a movie to get depressed. (laughs) Oh, I I will go out of my way to find a movie that will emotionally ruin me. Yeah, no, I don't like being emotionally ruined by movies, (laughs) depending on the movie. Um, But anyway, so this movie, when it came out, it just, it put a smile on my face and I could not stop just being like, uh, just like watching Kong. Like you said, the visual effects are beautiful in this movie. Mm-hmm. For the most part, there are a couple wonky scenes here and there. Like uh, the Sam Sam Jackson staring down Kong. You can definitely tell he was in front of like a green screen or there was a green screen behind him or one of well, the two. What kills me about that scene is that the explosion happening around Samuel Jackson, it just, it looks the way it's animated. It looks like you can tell they just animated the explosion around him, but you're like, he would fucking die. But yeah, he'd be on fire because it's moments like that. Sorry, go ahead. I was going to say, because like when I went and saw Metallica in concert, I was probably mm-hmm. a good 40 feet away from the pyros, even the pyros <laughs> they would have at the top of the stage. And I could still feel that heat on me. You're so probably I still a warm boy. I don't know how the fuck Sam Jackson wasn't, you know, a crispy boy at the end of that scene. Well, because I I feel like that's that just goes to show what type of movie this is. This movie is very aware that like it's the type of movie that animates its explosion around its character. The character doesn't just have a shield from explosions. It it literally will move the movie around its characters when it wants to and it will kill them whatever it wants to you know but i mean like, his the, the the stink eye he's given kong in that scene is one of my favorite facial 
expressions oh, I've seen from Sam Jackson. He is staring that motherfucker down. It's like hammy pulpy goodness, and that's what this movie is. My God, it's perfect. Yeah, hammy pulpy awesomeness. This is what I. The, I think the problem with Kong is people don't know what to do with his character unless it's the Peter, Je- you know, a remake of that story. Because I think that's sure. why they've had such an issue. Is they're like, but that story is so iconic. It's like, how do we? do something different and it's you do the polar opposite of what that movie is you you have fun with it mm-hmm. and that's what they did with this movie and Joden vogue roberts did an excellent job he did i like i said i enjoy this more and more it's the characters are so whatever but the movie knows it you know the movie's very aware of the fact that you don't give I, a I fuck kind of have a... about some of these people I kind of have a soft spot for the human cast in this. This is one of the few times I've liked the human cast in a monster movie. Really? I, well, I, I like them, but I mean, there's so many of them that they just don't do much with. You know, I think that's my biggest thing is that arc wise, oh, yeah. like on paper, these characters are a lot of these characters are nothing. The actors oh, yeah, make definitely. them way bigger than they actually are. You know? Yeah, there's a I forget the Chinese actress that's in this, but she has like three lines the entire movie. Yeah, she's um, the one that's always with them. Um, Houston Brooks, uh, yeah. played by Corey Hawkins, which mm-hmm. one thing that's cool is Joe Morton plays the aged up character of Corey Hawkins' character and everything. Oh, uh, that's Houston. cool. I didn't, I didn't know yeah, that. Yeah, he actually. pops up in uh, King of the Monsters for like a brief moment. It's a uh, Mothra when she hatches. It's that scene. Oh, yep. Okay, cool. Yeah, her character has like, like you were saying, some of them don't have much to do, but the ones that do get the shine, like, like Shay wingham's character earl cole he plays such a like a dry kind of almost like sarcastic not sarcastic but he just plays it so dryly it's amazing mm-hmm. uh, i love his character and um i mean there's so many in this right oh like, my god yeah because there's tom hit and one thing that's really funny it's just how many actors from the marvel universe have popped up into this movie we got loki we got captain marvel we got nick fury we got um th- uh, whatever character, uh, oh god, John C. Riley played in Guardians of the Galaxy. <laughs> oh, right, <laughs> yeah, dude, the John Nova C. Riley killed it in this movie. Why is he such a likable character? <laughs> he was shockingly good in this, and his awkward humor, I would compare him to uh, like Jack Black's performance in Peter Jackson's King Kong, where I'm watching it and I'm like so waiting for it to go off the rails and like not work, but it works. And it's fine. And it's there's a couple really awkward moments, but you know, if you know this character's backstory, you like you get the awkwardness, you understand it. Yeah, because one thing that just surprised me was when I so the first trailer was set up as a very serious trailer, so I was like, "Hmm, Mm -hmm. I'm intrigued with this. Then the second trailer introduces his character and had a you know comedic role to it, and I was just like, hmm. I'm not sure if I'm going to like his character. And I was, I went into the movie going, I'm not going to like John C. Riley. I think he's going to ruin it. I go, I came out of the movie going, why wasn't the entire movie about John C. Riley? Yeah. Well, he's the one character they really, cause he's the guy who we see a young him at the beginning. And he's the guy that we get um, that we meet on the Island. And he gets one of the most fleshed out arcs, you know? Um, yeah. He, I think this is going to sound terrible, but I think he's the only one who got an arc in this movie. Yeah. Aside from maybe you could argue Samuel Jackson, but his arc doesn't really go anywhere. It's just kind of like he's mad at Kong and he stays mad at Kong. True. <laughs> That's pretty much it. Because this inst- instead of um, 
unlike Peter Jackson's, where that's a character-driven movie, this is a plot-driven movie. Mm-hmm. Where they have to get from point A to point B on the island. And that's the whole story. Yeah, and it, it sort of plays like a really fun midnight horror movie, too. Because it's like, once they get on the island, they just get scattered and every scene is like some crazy thing on the island trying to kill them and usually succeeding. Uh, one thing I absolutely adore about the creature design in this movie is how it's like mixed between plant and animal. Cause like mm-hmm. the skur Buffalo, I believe is what they're called are beautiful. I want one in my yard. <laughs> those <things laughs> oh yeah. Just, those things are dope. Dude. They're, they're so chill. They're like the coolest thing. And I love uh, when uh, Kong goes to save one, uh, you just see how much more massive Kong is compared to it. I think it comes up to mm-hmm. like halfway up his shin and that's I, it. I love the creature designs in this. They're really cool. They have that sort of like, that they're all sort of embedded in nature somehow in different ways. Like the crazy praying mantis thing that comes out of the log and the spore mantis. Sure. <laughs> and, um... I, I of course know all the creature names in this. <laughs> Not shocked. <laughs> and um, yeah, I, I love all that stuff. And again, I, I feel like they almost did too much with like giving characters that technically don't matter, like little character beats so that you're like, oh, are they going to be important? Psych, they get killed. They're not that important, but it's not a big deal. Um, and again, it's it's kind of just them doing extra work rather than not doing enough because there's no way they're going to have that many fleshed out characters because there's like 15 characters. Yeah, that's the one note. problem they've had with the monster verse, because obviously this is tied in with Godzilla and the rest yeah, of the monster we should films. for sure and they keep for some reason they always feel the need to have a giant human cast and it's like you don't really need that all the time for a monster movie it's okay to have a small cast so that is one of the issues i do have is it's like as much as i do love some of the characters in this even though they're cardboard cutouts basically like john goodman's character i really like the fact that you know we got I think him and Corey Hawkins' character are the only characters from Monarch in this. Oh, and I mentioned her, Jing Tian. Mm-hmm. I believe that's how you pronounce her name. She's the Chinese actress I mentioned earlier that okay. only gets like three lines. She's the only other member of Monarch. So that was kind of interesting of how few Monarch members were mentioned mm-hmm. in this. And it would have been kind of cool to maybe have a young Sarazawa be on the island with them. To kind of keep in line, you know, maybe build his character a little more, you know, so we at least got more payoff in King of the Monsters because we got to spend three movies instead of two. But they had to have Toby Kebbell in this for some reason. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> Which, don't I get mean, me wrong, I love Toby Kebbell, but... Okay, this is the only movie I've seen him in, and the only other movie I knew him of, knew him from, was Fanforstick mm. as... Uh, quote unquote Dr. Doom. So I don't know his. I heard he's really good from you in the Planet of the Apes trilogy. So he's like, yeah, I mean, he is like a Andy Circus protege. Like they work together in those movies and he's fucking awesome. So it's cool that they're both in com movies too. Yeah. And uh, uh, Toby Kebble actually provided the motion capture for Kong's face in this movie while Terry Notary portrayed Kong himself. Oh, that's really cool. Weird that, you know, it just wasn't one actor altogether. But hey, you do what you can do, I guess. Yeah, I did. Um, do you know if he reprised his role in Godzilla vs. Skunk? Uh, it says on the Wikipedia shared cast members for the MonsterVerse. It says it there, but I was on the actual 
like Wikipedia page for King Kong or Godzilla versus Kong and and see him in the cast list and everything because I believe even TJ Storm who's been playing Godzilla wasn't even credited. Oh so wow, that's weird. After they made such a big deal about him in King of the yeah. Monsters, but hey, I have thoughts for that movie. We'll get to it when we get to it. <laughs> So yeah, I overall I think this movie's a blast. It's it's really kind of this was a refreshing one to watch after just like before this I had watched Godzilla 2014, which I like, but it's sort of like you know, it it is more of a downer of a I mean it's not not really, but I mean it's slower, you know, and it, it's it's darker. And then literally if you watch the Homeries, thank you Warner <laughs> Brothers. And then Godzilla King of the Monsters you know, doesn't work as well for me as just fun spectacle. So watching this one was don't talk shit about my masterpiece. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I have to, but this, this one was what I wanted out of like, this is the type of movie I can turn my brain off for. This is like, because I also think a lot of it is due to the action being a lot better executed. Like, Oh my God, the action is perfect in this. Cause even the night scenes are well shot and well lit. So it's just like, all right. the issues I would have had, um, like if Godzilla and King of the Monsters was filmed with this type of lighting, mm-hmm. I would have no issues with those movies for the action. But yeah. where this one, you see the like Kong and the skull, final skull crawler, yep. who we were given a name at one point. I believe it was Remarack, mm-hmm. but then they dropped it. We don't know why. So just like, does it have a name? Is it the skull devil? Like, what the fuck is it called? But, I think um, Skull Devil sounds cool. Yeah. And that whole fight at the end is so awesome. Like Kong like doing a shoulder drop on the It's very classic, know, classic Kong. Yeah. And it's just rolling and roughing and tumbling. And it's so well done because it's just it reminds it, it feels like a suit actor in a suit just beating up another suit actor. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And one thing we I feel I should mention is the scroll crawlers were inspired by one throwaway monster design from the original King Kong, and it's uh, the creature that climbs up the wall that's about to kill Jack before it oh. cuts the vine and drops it. You know, I kind of thought that because when it, it crawled up, like shape-wise, I was like, oh, that kind of looks like a skull crawler. And that's exactly what it's said. That's, that's really cool. And um, I believe Joden Vogue Roberts also mentioned that, uh, what's it called? Cubone from Pokemon was another inspiration, <laughs> which that one is very. If you see what Cubone looks like, you're like, oh yeah, I can see that. This is like a Cubone from hell, though. I would hell not want to try and capture this thing in fucking a Pokeball at all. And uh, one thing I'm very thankful for is Playmates finally released a six-inch scale Skullcrawler figure that had not been nice. released even with this movie. So it's nice that I can finally display it with the rest of my Godzilla figures. Fuck yeah. Yeah, I I love the just the use of color back to like the use of color in this in general is just really fucking cool. You get that crazy scene where Tom Hiddleston samurai katana with uh, the green poison gas stuff that he still takes his mask off. And you said it. And um, yeah, I, I love stuff like that. And there's a lot of those great like, yeah, the smacking around of the helicopters is one of the first action set pieces, but it's also one of my favorites. So I think they just. They do a really good job here of selling the scale and that keeping this movie shot. Moving. Yeah. The silhouette shot with Kong at the beginning. Yeah. Dude, 
so good yeah there's a lot of fantastic shots in this movie but it does a good a good mashup of you know when we do when we are stuck with the humans for a while it makes it fun most of the humans here are lighthearted, which helps so even if they're not particularly interesting there's nothing like aaron taylor johnson's character where he's just kind of a blank slate walking around in godzilla 2014 so at least there's that definitely and one thing that's cool is this movie has the post-credit scene where we get to go to Monarch and they show off all the cave paintings. Mm-hmm. Seeing that in theater has got me so hyped. For oh, like, I believe it. I was like, it's Godzilla! Yep. Oh, yeah. Uh, I was I was squealing like a little kid. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, this movie, I have more and more fun with it each time. And It, it kind of reminds me of like a 70s Showa Godzilla movie. Not going to lie. I could see that. Yeah. Like There's the Mecha Godzilla. There. Yeah. Like um, the fun pulpiness of Mecha Godzilla. Yeah, absolutely. Definitely. Yeah. I think that's all I really have to say about this one. It's, it's a, it's a blast. I don't think it's like a masterpiece or anything, but I think it's exactly what it needs to be. Yeah. It knows what it wants to do and it does it perfectly. I mean, absolutely. yeah, I'll probably sound like a hypocrite when we talk about our next movie, but I love that this one doesn't really have to have a deep story. And I do love the fact that, uh, we um get to explore kind of the concept of the hollow earth is started in this one which yep. i kind of wish they may have mentioned that in godzilla 2014 just so it feels a little more natural to where we progress in godzilla versus kong but yeah i i really like this movie a lot this is probably if we were to like rank these kong movies it would go peter jackson's just for the simple fact of how amazing and god tier that movie is this one for its pure fun and then a little lot lower would be the thir- 33 version because of racism. <sighs> well, it's just, I-, I just feel so bad saying that because it's, it's not just the racism. It's that all the human scenes, whether it's like sexism, racism, or just like overall like macho 30s bullshit. It just feels so disconnected from like what I'm looking for in personalities for characters that it, it, it sort of takes the human element out of it completely. So even though the characters in this and Kong Skull Island are more, you know, or they're, they're all pretty straightforward. There's aside from a few, they're all still fairly relatable. They're all still fun. And that's more than you can say about most of the human characters in the original King Kong. It does suck putting it at the bottom of that ranking, but yeah, I have to agree. I feel like Peter Jackson's is amazing despite its flaws. And then Skull Island would definitely be right in between of just like good B-movie fun. And then 33, while a technical spectacle is just not, just does not hold up for me. Yeah, I can totally hear my dad rolling in his grave for this us <laughs> talking shit about this because he loves the original so much. But I, I mean, I can't blame him if I grew up with it. I, I absolutely yeah. would feel that way, too. And I know you grew up with it, but like, yeah, you also have these to appreciate. And you were yeah. pretty young when Peter Jackson's came out, too. So that has nostalgia for you, too. I'm sure. Oh, definitely. Definitely. But. Yeah. All right. Well, that's all we have for this very special episode. Uh, We hope you guys enjoyed it as much as we did. Uh, As always, for more of us, (laughs) for more of us geeking out, uh, you can find us on Twitter and Facebook at NotBuffPod and on Instagram at NotBuffFilmBuffs. Thank you, Josh, for being the editing wizard once again. We hope everyone listening will join us for our next podcast, which we are insanely excited for. It's our final episode of Escape to Monster Island. Josh, are you fucking ready? Oh, I'm ready. (laughs) Uh, It's going to be a blast. We're going to rank all of these Godzilla movies we've watched 
and review Godzilla vs. Kong. It's going to be awesome. Uh, and we hope to see you all there. Until next time on Escape to Monster Island. Bye.